Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Church London catch-up service. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a passion to present Jesus to London and would love for you to be part of the adventure. So why not say hello to us by visiting our website manualchurchlondon.org so we can get back to you and say a bit more of a personal hello. Good to see you guys. Welcome if I haven't already seen you this year. Happy New Year if you're here for the first time. You are so welcome. My name is Ben and I help lead the team here uh, at Emmanuel Church London. As Katie's already said, uh, we're in a really exciting season at the moment where we're praying uh, and we're not just praying for the sake of praying because that's what all churches do at the beginning of a year, but we're praying with genuine expectation that God is going to use us and move through us this year in 2023. We're excited for all that God has for us in our future Um, I'm just going to get straight into things and picking up from last week. If you weren't here, um, it was noted and we'll be in touch. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Now, if you weren't here last week, do head to our website and catch up um, with last week's talk. Not because I think it was like the best thing I've ever done in my life. It's from the Word of God. It's from the Bible. It's an encouragement and it will just help give context for the rest of the month as well. I'm going to do a little bit of a recap to help us as well. So we're in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, That's an Old Testament book about a man called... Come on, we're awake this morning. Well done, church. Good. So it's about a man called Nehemiah. So this is pre-Jesus, before Jesus has come from heaven to earth. And it's a wonderful book. And this series that we're in, we've we've called it Restored, because this is the story of a man uh, who essentially catches the heart of God and sees that the city of Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt. It needs to be restored. And he sets about to go and do exactly that. And against all of the odds and against opposition, he sees the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. Just for some context then, to catch everybody up, um, the the Israelites have been uh, essentially... Jerusalem, the temple, everything's been destroyed about 100 years before this story takes place. It was the exile. And so a a nation, an empire called Babylon, rises up, destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple. And what they do is take a load of people and they're exiled and they go to Babylon. Then another empire rises up, the Persian Empire, and they rise up and the king of Persia does things a little bit differently. He's a little bit more open to people from different lands, worshipping their own gods and going back to where they come from, that's okay. And so what happens is over the course of some time, about 100 years, is the Israelites that are exiled in that particular area start to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. But they don't succeed. And so the story that we're picking up in Nehemiah, we're picking up about 100 years into the reign of the king of Persia. Exile's already happened And Nehemiah has his life completely changed. There's a moment where his life is turned upside down because he hears the news of the city of God and he takes it personally. So I'm going to read. We're going to be looking in Nehemiah chapter 1, just the first five verses. And that's what we're going to be looking at for the rest of this month. We're looking at just the first chapter of Nehemiah, but just a way of reminding us. I'm just going to read this to us now. So it says this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened... In the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed with fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down 
and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is the word of God. Just going to start a bit of a recap. And I've just said, in terms of the point, let's have a reality check. Last week, we majored on the reality that whilst we live in the good, many of us as Christians, and maybe you're here today and you're looking into Christianity, and you're so, so welcome. Uh, and, and hopefully today is going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of who we are, what we should be doing as Christians, the invitation from Jesus. As Christians, we've been given everything in Jesus. That's what we've been singing about this morning, right? We've been given everything. Once we were dead, but now we're alive. Once we were hostiles to to God the Father, but now we can come confidently before his throne. And in the reality of that big picture, in the reality that there is a God and that humanity was separated from God, but in his love he sent his son who lived, died and was raised to life again, who poured out his Holy Spirit. And we as Christians have come into relationship with him to be with him forever in the reality and in the light that Jesus is going to one day again come from heaven to earth and call and gather all his people to himself. And there's a stark reality that there will be a separation of those who are known by God and not known. I don't mean that he you know, forgot some people, people that have trusted in Jesus. In the reality of this big picture, it's okay for us as Christians to mourn and to weep. See, sometimes we sort of say, well, we don't do that as Christians anymore because we've been given the joy of the Lord. Listen, the joy of the Lord isn't just putting a brave face on and smiling through the the grit and the hardship of life. That's not what the joy of the Lord is. The joy of the Lord is having hope in what is unseen and what is to come despite the circumstances that we are in, though we may mourn and weep. And so last week, we majored on the fact that we, we have to have a reality check. We have to sometimes stop and look at our own lives in the great picture of the gospel. And we have to have a check. We have to have a reality check. Where are we at? And where's the church at? Not just Emmanuel Church London. Where's the church at in this nation? And we talked about, is it really stepping up and playing its part? Jesus talked about it being a, a city on a hill, a light into the darkness. And I said that there's loads of churches across the UK that are doing a great job. So I'm not rubbishing the church in any way. But I also said that I wholeheartedly believe that we live in an age where we need to see a move of God. We need to see the walls rebuilt in church. We need to be strengthened as Christians to stand up and to proclaim the good news of Jesus, not to to judge the world or oppress the world or push the world down, but in all love and all grace with confidence in our hearts that this is the truth and they need to hear it. We need to be strengthened. But first, we might need to mourn and weep and come to terms with the reality of where we're at. And to look at the world around us and to see the brokenness and the destruction and the evil and the wickedness. Guys, it doesn't take much in our city. It doesn't take much in our boroughs that we live in to see the darkness, right? We think about young men that have been killed already this year through knife crime. When we think about the wickedness of the sex slave trade that goes on in our city. When we think about the the idols of sex and power and money and the prominence of them in our city. You only have to step out the front door and and just look and see, yeah, that's the effect of that idol. People completely consumed and completely blinded by these idols and pursuing them wholeheartedly. Guys, it's got to break our hearts. We have to weep before we can build a wall. 
We have to weep over the ruins before we can build a wall. And we started to talk like this, and we said, church, we've got to get good at in the context of knowing who we are in God. We have to get good at understanding what it looks like to weep and to mourn and to pray and to fast. And it got me thinking, I guess, when we, when we do this, and I, I probably left you a little bit on a cliffhanger last week, deliberately. Sort of left, you, left it out there a little bit, the weeping in the morning. Brought some hope, I hope you heard that but left it there a little bit. Because I genuinely believe that it's a necessity for us to feel overwhelmed sometimes. And, and hear, hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. We need to be overwhelmed in the context that there is a God and that we are his. We need to be overwhelmed that we cannot deal with the severity and the magnitude of the issue on our own. We have to be. Why? Because it throws us onto God. Because if we could do everything just on our own, if we could do everything by just getting up in the morning and being like, yo, like, let's just come up with a good strategy today, got a bit of money, let's get to it, and we'll probably build the best church there's ever been. No prayer involved, no faith involved, we're going it alone. Do you know what the Lord loves more than anything? He loves people running after his heart. That's what he's after. More than anything in your life, he's after your heart. He's after you understanding the reality of what it means to depend on him, to trust him to throw yourself wholeheartedly upon his grace and his mercy for your life. That's what he's after more than anything else. Not what you achieve. Not everyone says, oh, what a ministry you've got, or what a job you've got, or what you've done, da 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 Not interested in any of that. Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart? That's what he's after. But when we have a sober reality check, and this is where I left you, and I hope, as I say, some of you can pick it up. When we have a sober reality check, it can feel quite overwhelming. It can feel like backs against the wall. Before Christ, BC in my life, I used to get in a few tear-ups here and there. Remember one in Tenerife, which was an absolute nightmare. Backs against the wall. For some reason, decided to start a fight on a load of doormen. I was, you know, 17, 18. It was a bad move. It really went badly <laughs> for me, a couple of my mates. We were backs against the wall. And I tell you, that's probably one of the moments in my life where you're like, are we really going to get through this? Sometimes as Christians, it's not a game. It can feel like that, can't it? Anyone with me? Maybe you're like, what are you talking about? You're in Tenerife, fight, Christianity. If we take Christianity seriously and say, right, well, we're going we're gonna to step out the front door. We're going to bring the kingdom of God. But I look at the world around me and I just feel like there's no hope. I think about the narrative of this city and I think if I start to talk about Jesus, people are literally going to walk away from me. I want to start to think about the overwhelming nature of poverty, the abuse amongst children, the rape and the mistreatment of women. When I think about racism that still goes on, not just in the city, but maybe even in our churches. When I think about evil in every aspect of every place I look in our city, I feel like it's backs against the wall. And I want to say to you that in this story with Nehemiah, it's no different. See, sometimes when we read about these stories in the Bible, we're like, well, it would have been different for him. It wasn't different for him. He was, a, he was exiled, so his, his roots were in another land. He had grown up. He's got a good job. He's the cupbearer to the king. But at this point in the story, where he hears the news that the city of God, the walls are down, the, the, the temple's destroyed, and the people of God are oppressed, he's got no money. He's got no team. He's got nothing. In fact, we're doing a better job. We've got a future fund, a building fund. We've got a few people on staff. We've got you wonderful people. 
Nehemiah was on his own. He hears the news and he's got nothing. And yet, what we're going to see happen in this story is a man rise up in strength and see a whole city rebuilt. Can I just say that? He didn't say that he was going to go and build a garden shed. He said that he was going to go and build a city and he did it. So something happens to Nehemiah in this moment. Remember at the beginning of chapter one, it says, now it happened. What happened? Nehemiah's heart was broken, but it was strengthened. Do you remember last week we talked about Jesus speaking and he says, those who mourn will be comforted. Those who mourn will be comforted. And what we talked about is saying that that word comfort, sometimes like we think about Lenore, you know, we think about fabric softener, or I do anyway. Maybe you think about, I talked about like, you know, onesies and sitting by the fire and cuddles in those big furry jackets we've all got these days. That's not what the Bible's getting at at all. It's just not. The word comfort is to be fortified, to be fortified. And so what Jesus is saying, or strengthened, Jesus is saying, those who mourn for my purposes will be strengthened. And you're like, okay, cool. So so we just cry and we mourn and we'll be strengthened. Well, No, there's more to it than that because what happens with Nehemiah and what I believe happened to Nehemiah in this moment is he mourns and he weeps and he prays and he fasts and he has a really clear understanding of who it is that he's talking to. See, the reason that Nehemiah grows in strength is because he gets a reassurance in the unseen God. He has a reassurance that is way beyond what he's able to achieve. He's looking to the God of the Bible and he's saying, he is able. He's looking to the God of the Bible and saying, he is willing. He's looking to the God of the Bible and saying, he's jealous for his presence to be amongst his people. He is jealous for his presence to be amongst his people. Do you know that today, Emmanuel? And more than that, he says he's jealous for his people. He looks and he sees God and he's reassured. And church, we need to be a people that are strengthened in our weeping and our mourning who are reassured by the reality of who God really is. We need to look outside of ourselves. If we really want to see Emmanuel Church grow, if we want to see this church strengthened in such a way, and I want to believe for the unbelievable, not for my own sake. And, and honestly, I, you can imagine, you know, you guys know me and my character. You can imagine what I was like in my 20s when I first started coming into leadership. You're an absolute nightmare. Just shut up, Ben. Be quiet. It's not all about you, right? And so the Lord humbled me. And man, that was a journey. I'll tell you all about it one day. Some of you know it. So when I say these things, I'm not saying let's build a big church so we can boast in it. I'm not saying wouldn't it be great if Emmanuel got a real name for itself in London if people started looking at us for what we do. Be like, wow, they're a cool church. Really not interested. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we want to see this church grow and be strengthened so that more and more people in southeast London would know the reality of who Jesus Christ is, that we would worship with them not just in this day and age, but we'll be with them in heaven forever and ever and ever. That is what we're doing here, church, for the glory of Jesus Christ, for his glory and his glory alone. This is a faith issue. That's what this is about. It's a faith issue. As we weep, as we mourn, as we pray, as we fast in this month of January, it's a faith issue. We're saying, God, we want a reality check to our own lives, to the church, to the world around us. And it hurts when we really look in the mirror 
When we look at what we're doing, it hurts sometimes. We want a reality check, but we want faith to grow. We want to be strengthened. I started thinking about the subject of faith, which happens to be, I love it. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking about a few different characters in the Bible. I was thinking about Moses. Some of you like, will know this story, and maybe all of you, even if you've not been to church much, will know, you know Moses is the guy that leads probably two, two and a half million people out of Egypt who are slaves by the hand of God. And, and they get out into the desert, and then Pharaoh, essentially the king, the, the evil guy in the story, decides that he didn't want to let them go. This actually happened. And so he comes out with his army and chariots to chase them down. And they end up in this situation where you've got about two, two, two and a half million Israelites with their backs against the Red Sea. And then the Egyptian king, Pharaoh, is chasing them down of chariots and they're coming head on with them. And Moses is the leader. Anyone been like a team leader, business leader, leader in the home? That was a bit of a leadership challenge, right? Anyone? <laughs> I wouldn't fancy that one tomorrow morning. Two million people, backs against the sea, and an enemy closes in. Listen to what he says in Exodus 14. He gets up in front of the people. He says, do not be afraid. Anyone afraid sometime of being a Christian in our city? Anyone afraid of what people might think? Anyone afraid if God's going to provide? Anyone afraid of where we're going? No, just me. Wonderful. He says, do not be afraid. He says, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. He will bring it about today. The Egyptians that you see today, you're never going to see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just need to be still. Wow. Can I just point out, Moses doesn't say, don't worry about it, guys. I've been having a think, and me and some of the lads, we've got a new strategy. We've got a new welcome team. We've done some training, and we know we're going to get through this one. He doesn't say, don't worry, guys. I've been with the trustees. We've worked out the budget. It's cushy. We're all good. He doesn't even know what's going to happen. He doesn't get up and say, we're going through the sea. He hasn't got a clue what's about to happen. In this moment, he hasn't got a clue. All he knows, God is real. He's jealous for his people. He's going to deliver his people, and he's going to destroy the enemy. And he stands in front of two and a bit million people and says it. That's faith. And listen to how God responds. God says, why are you crying out to me, Moses? What are you doing? He says, tell the Israelites to move on. Wow, okay. And this is the moment where then he stands up and holds the staff and the Red Sea parts. Two and a half million people go through on dry ground to safety. The Egyptians follow them. Sea comes back in, destroys the enemy. God's people are safe. Hallelujah. What a moment. What a moment. I was thinking about David and Goliath. Little boy, little runt of a lad. We like to think that he was a bit of something. So when, when David first comes on the scene, he's a scrawny little runt. <laughs> Are you allowed to say that? I don't even know what it means, really. <laughs> anyway, little brother. And uh, there's this moment. All his, all his big brothers have gone off to have a fight. Now, if you're a little brother and all your brothers are going off to fight, you're getting a bit fuming and you're like, oh, come on, I would have liked to do that. He's a, he's a shepherd. So he gets to go and take some food. And he turns up and there's this, there's this fight going on. And you've got the Israelite nation, God's people, and then you've got the Philistine nation. And every morning they're getting up and the armies do this sort of standoff. And the idea is that the two champions are supposed to come out and have a scrap. 
But the Philistines have got this guy called Goliath. Now he comes out, he's nine feet tall. Now I've been in a few scraps, like I said. I've never come across a nine foot tall. If I did, I'd probably be like the rest of the Israelites, right? And so the Israelites are, are so scared because this nine foot giant's coming out every morning, massive spear, shield, sword, and he's basically taking the, the mickey out of them and just laughing at them, taking the mickey out of God and just cussing them every morning. David turns up on the scene and he sees things differently to the whole rest of the Israelite nation. He walks on the scene, doesn't see a nine-foot giant. He sees a guy that's taking the mickey out of the Israelites and defying the name of God. He's like, what are you not playing at? So you're going to let this guy defy the name of God? Of God, again, there's perspective. This is God's people. God is real. He's jealous for his people, and he is going to win the day. Picks up five stones, stone number one, into the head of the giant, chops his head off. Israelite get the victory. Man of faith. Trust in the Lord God. As a, you're right with a couple more, yeah? Cool. There's this story last week, Livy Gibbs. If you don't know her, she, um, her and her husband, Stu, set up the church here. A wonderful woman, praying for me last week. She says, Ben, I want to remind you of the story in 2 Kings chapter 6. I love it. She preached it, actually, a few years ago, and she had forgotten that she had preached it. Classic. It's a brilliant preach. I loved it. And, uh, and she says to me, I want to remind you of it. And it's the story of Elisha. Now, Elisha is basically a prophet. That means he, he hears the word of God and he tells people, he brings into being what God wants and we won't get into to all of that in terms of teaching, but he's a man that really hears from God. And what happens is Elisha keeps hearing the plans of the enemy and telling his own like, leadership. And every time the, the, the enemy comes up with a plan, Elisha's like, yep, God told me this, and they, they keep just beating them to it. But the enemy king finds out, finds out what Elisha's up to. So he's like, well, let's obviously go and kill this guy. So they go to the city where Elisha is and they surround the city with a massive army and chariots and all this kind of stuff. Elisha and his mate wake up in the morning and his mate looks out the window and he sees this army. And obviously he's scared, right? He's like, what are we going to do? They're obviously here for you. <laughs> it's him, not me. He's the one that he is. And, uh, and you know what Elisha does? He, says, he starts to pray. First of all, he says this. He says, there is more of us than there is of them. Servants like, pardon? There's two of us and an army around the city. There's more of us than there are of them. Lord, let him see. And the Lord opens his eyes and the servant, it says, doesn't just see then the army around the city, but he sees the army of God behind that army, not just with chariots, but with chariots of fire. And he got some perspective that day of who was really in charge. Elisha, Help bring about faith in that man. Emmanuel, I want to just say to you, prophets, prophetesses, those who hear from God amongst us, we need to hear from you. We need to be encouraged by you. We need you to get alongside people and pray. Say, let them see. Let them see with eyes of faith. We need that in our days. So when you come back to the story of Nehemiah, you come back to a man who, who is assured of who God is. Now listen, when we think about these types of stories, now this is the key, church. I want you, this is the thing that we've got to get today. If we're going to build with strength, if we're going to build into the future, if this is going to be everything that God's got for us, listen to this. When we hear these stories, it's easy for us to jump in to the slot of Moses or into the slot of David or into the slot of Elisha or Nehemiah and say, yeah, I'm going to be like that. Now listen, we can learn from those people. Loads of men and women in the Bible that we can learn from in terms of faith. But that's not the point of the story. It's not the point of the story. Because we 
as individuals, are not the hero of this story that's getting worked out. You come to know that yet, Christians? It's not all about you. Spoiler alert. Some of us, we hear these stories, I'm going to be like Moses. Yeah, I'm going to stand in front of a few million people and lead them through a sea. All the best. Um, <laughs> some of us, yeah, I'm going to be a Nehemiah. I'm going to rise up, I'm going to do it. These stories, they, they point to someone who was going to come. They point to someone that was going to be the hero, that was going to do greater things than all of these people have ever done combined. All these stories point forward towards someone, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus has done, on a grand universal scale, what these people did in a little minuscule scale. You see, Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses stood in front of a couple of million people with an enemy closing in and led them through the Red Sea. Let me tell you this, Jesus stands in front of humanity with the enemy, Satan, and all of his schemes coming full throttle against humanity. And in the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, he didn't part away through the Red Sea, but through death and through sin and the consequence for it didn't lead us to dry ground, but led us into relationship with the Father now and forever and ever and ever. Jesus is the greater Moses. When we think about David and we think about a man that killed a giant, yes, he killed a giant. And yes, the Israelites got the victory that day. I tell you this, that Jesus stands in front of his army. And when Satan came, he smashed him on the cross and in the resurrection so that every accusation that comes, just like Goliath was tormenting and pushing and pointing the finger at the Israelites, he silenced Satan once and for all. His day is numbered. It's numbered. He's defeated. He's done. Jesus didn't come and just save a small army. He came and saved all those who trust in his name. He didn't just kill Goliath. He brought down every evil scheme that ever has and ever will exist. Jesus is the greater David. When we think about Elisha, and he prays for this man and he says, get perspective. There's angel armies around the city. Let me tell you what, Jesus is the captain of the angel armies. It's not just get perspective. He leads them. He leads the angel armies. For some of us here today, we're sort of thinking, do what? Angel armies? Yeah, angel armies. That's who our king is. All authority belongs to him. That's who he is. And when we come to this story of Nehemiah, this is the key, guys, that Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. See, he's not looking for a master builder. He is the master builder. When I whip us up a little bit last week, push in. We need to weep, we need to mourn, which we do. The danger is that in our own strength, we get up and go, right, I'm going to build now. I'm going to build. Listen, that, that's not the invitation. You might start to build a little bit. You might lay a couple of bricks here and there. A few people might even make comment to it. I tell you, millions of people might even make comment to it. There are people in the world that are building without Jesus. And I tell you what, it will come to light when he comes again. It will. Jesus is our master builder, and here's the deal. It's his agenda. It's his building. He's the master builder, and he says to us, Emmanuel Church London, I'm building. Fancy picking up your trowel and joining in? It's going to be wild. I'm inviting you to have the greatest adventure that you've ever had. I'm not talking about salvation. You're already saved. Why don't you come and build the church with me? It's precious to me. The blueprints have been laid out. Jesus is the master builder. He's the greater Nehemiah. This is where our assurance comes from. Not that we might achieve all things because we know a thing or two about God, 
but we might achieve a few things because we're in Christ and that he goes before us and he leads us. So let me just finish by saying this. In verse 5, Nehemiah starts to pray. And he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. When we pray, we need to remember who it is that we're praying to. When we're talking about building through the whole of this series, we need to remember that he's the master builder, that we're coming into his agenda, that when we're picking up tools and bricks, and remember what we're trying to build here, is yes, we want a building for ourselves, and yes, we want to go into screen 11, yes, we want to see, but we're building upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ with living bricks. It's about people. It's about people getting added to the kingdom of God. And so Nehemiah's starting place is he says, oh, Lord God of heaven, we need to remember who it is that we're praying to. I believe that we need a, a reawakening, Emmanuel, of who God really is. Because he's so much bigger than we realize. And he's so much greater. Do you remember Jesus teaches the disciples to pray? How does he teach them to pray? Oh, Father in heaven. See the parallel. Okay, it's not just that Jesus, Jesus knows how to pray. Nehemiah knew how to pray. God in heaven. He starts by saying, this is where he is. This is where we are not. He is in heaven. He is high and lifted up. He is in all authority. When we pray, that can bring us great delight and reassurance. You see what I'm talking about with this faith? That's why you start there. God of heaven. That's who I get to talk to today. That's who's my dad. That's who's my father. God of heaven. You heard about him? He's a big deal. Can do all things in all authority. Oh, God of heaven. Emmanuel, let's start praying like this. Amen. And then he goes on to say the great and awesome God. The great and awesome God. We need a, a reawakening in our hearts again of the reality that God is great. He ain't like me and he ain't like you. So much different. He's set apart. He's other. He's holy. He, he's such a big deal. We just I, I can't even tell you. This is why we have to be covered by the blood of Jesus. You can't just walk in before the great and awesome God. Some versions talk about being great and terrible God. It's like, oh, that doesn't feel right. I tell you, without the blood of Jesus, it's why the gospel's so important. It's why it's so important that we tell people, yes, without the blood, but with the blood, with the blood of Jesus, covered by the Lamb's blood. We get to draw close to the Holy One. We get to walk into the throne room, not cowering and sort of being like, oh God, am I allowed to talk to you? But with confidence, here I am, Father. I'm your son, it's Ben. And I've come to talk to you in absolute recognition that you are great and that you are awesome. And I want to ask of you, as a son asks his dad, I'm here to ask. That's how we pray, church. And he goes on to talk about in being a covenant God and with steadfast love. Next week, Stu is going to talk to us about some of the promises in the scripture, but I just want to whet your appetite with a couple. He says uh, last week, when, when Jesus commissions the disciples, and this commission is for us as well, church, right? When Jesus says to the disciples, go into the world, baptize them, come on with me, please, some of you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you, with you, taught you and surely I will be with you to the end of... Time to the end of the age. That's a, pr a promise from Jesus. So when we get about building, when we get about going out and sharing our faith, when we get about like, okay, I'm going to make church priority, you have to get hold of that promise. Je Jesus himself, the Son of God, has said to you, to us as a church, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Doesn't that change everything? If Jesus is who the Bible says he is, 
Doesn't that change everything when you wake up in the morning? Morning! <laughs> Here he is. <laughs> I'm with you again today. I'm with you again today. He says to Peter, he says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, what does he say? I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He didn't say Ben Rowe's going to build the church. He didn't say Stu Baker's going to build the church. Put your name in, didn't say you're going to build the church. He says, I will build my church. But he says, hey, Ben, if you want to join in, mate, it's all good. You come join in, my boy, my brother, come join me. You're going to love it, like I said earlier. That's what he says to you. It's a promise. I will build my church. This gives us such reassurance. We can give it a go, church, right? Because he's the master builder. And then I just want to finish on this, the steadfast love bit. Wonderful verses in Scripture. It says, all those, this is Jesus speaking, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. When we talk about faith to build, I just want to just, just allow that to drop in your heart today. I will never drive away. Do you know, if you've put your trust in Jesus, if it's that sin again, if it's a new thing that's happened, you say, oh my goodness, I've crossed the line. His promise is, I'm never going to drive you away. Never going to drive you away. I'm with you to the end of the age. That's why I came for you. When we start to, to step out and we start to think, God, I'm in a mess with my finances. Hands up, I've messed up. I'm in a lot of debt. Or maybe I've not messed up. I just don't know how to, I, 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 there's too much going out. It's never going to drive you away. It doesn't look down his nose at you and be like, well, what are you playing at? Get a budget together, sort it out. It's never going to drive you away. When you say, God, genuinely, I'm scared. I'm scared to build. I'm scared to step out. It's never going to drive you away. It's just not who he is. He loves you. He loves you. That's what this building is all about. It goes on to say, for I have come down from heaven... Band, do you want to come join me? For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is talking about the Father. He's saying, I'm not doing my will, I'm doing the will of the Father. This is who he sent me, that I shall lose none of those that he's given me, but I'll raise them up on the last day. Just let that hit your heart today. This is the commitment of Jesus Christ to you, who call upon his name. He says, on the last day, I'm going to raise you up. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, church? So any embarrassment or challenge or victory that has to be won in this age, there's something greater to come because he's going to raise you up. He's going to raise you up to be with him forever. So you see, when it comes down to it, church, this isn't about gritting our teeth and building on our own. This is about seeing Jesus for who he is. This is about seeing the invitation that says, I'm able I'm going to build my church and I've invited you to build, build with me and I'm going to be with you and I'm not going to run out on you. I love you. I love you. There's not one second that's going to pass by from now until when you're with him in eternity where he will turn away from you. If that doesn't give you reassurance, we need to see who it is that's saying the words. And that's where I want to end. We need the Holy Spirit we need him to reveal all that I've talked about. To help us see, who is it that's saying these things to me? Who is it that's bringing this invitation? I tell you, he's beautiful. He is beautiful. And he's full of all power and all authority. And he's come, and he's coming again. But he's here right now by his Holy Spirit. 
and he wants to build in Greenwich Church. I tell you, by faith, Emmanuel, we will go forward. By faith, we will go into screen 11. By faith, we will get a building. By faith, we will see people set free and delivered. By faith, we will see salvation come to this area. By faith, this church will grow. By faith, not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. So before we sing this song, if you're a Christian here today, I just want you to to take the pot of juice and the bread, the wafer on top. And here's what we're doing. If you haven't got one, then the welcome team will have some more. If you're not a Christian today, you're not walking with Jesus, just feel free to allow this to pass you by. You you are so welcome to it, but we want to explain what what this is and we would want to explain that in the context of being able to talk further. But if you are a Christian here today, I want us to take this meal. I know it doesn't look like a meal, but as we take this juice and the wafer, what we're doing is we're remembering that Jesus has come and that he's died on the cross and that he's risen again. And in remembering him, this church, just listen before you try and work out the, the conundrum of getting into it. This is where we get our faith from that Jesus has come, that he's died and that he's risen, taking this meal together as family is saying, yeah, Jesus leads our church. Jesus is the head of our church. He is the master builder. And so take this, embrace it, pray, and then stand. And the the band are going to lead us in this song. And I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will just come and fill us. So just let me pray first and then we're going to stand and see what the Lord wants to do. Father God, we thank you for the truth of who you are. We thank you that you are alive and that you are willing and that you are able. Thank you that you are jealous for your presence to be amongst your people. Thank you that you are jealous for your people. And thank you that you are a victory God. Thank you that you have overcome all darkness and all evil. And that we as yours stand in that victory. And so as we build, we build in that strength, in that assurance that you are with us and not against us. And so this morning, I pray for Emmanuel Church London. I pray now in Jesus' name that Spirit of the living God would just start to move all across this place. I pray for fresh reassurance. I pray for deposits of faith. And I pray that the veil would be pulled back and that we would see you for who you really are. In the glorious name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Church, let's take this meal together and let's stand and sing. Thank you.